Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We will play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like it has a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to Big Blue Avenue. I'm Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Sam Cardona below me and Hank and Dictor to my right. How's it going, guys? <laughs> Doing great, Tom. I'm so excited for this week's show. It's going to be great, but I'm, a, I'm not so happy with our with our Giants from this past week. So that that won't be too exciting to talk about. I have been trying to let a certain sweep in Boston distract me from the travesty that's been the Giants, but even that can't stop me from being really, really pissed after what happened last week. And oh boy, I got a lot to say, but more importantly, Tom, how are you doing, my friends? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Remember to give us all a follow on Big Blue Avenue at Instagram, Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Big Blue Avenue. And a quick reminder, uh, tonight, we continue to pay tribute to former host of Review and Preview, Brian Marbach. Obviously, Big Blue Avenue is a sub-show on the Review and Preview Sports Network. Brian suddenly passed away last Friday evening. He hosted Review and Preview for three-plus years, and this week's slate of shows are all dedicated to him. Make sure to catch our special tribute show for Brian Marbach next Tuesday, October 5th at 7 p.m., as I'll be joined by Johnny Montalbano. Tommy the Mac McNamara, Griffin Ward, among others who worked with Brian. May he rest in peace. Um, terrible tragedy, but uh, he was a big New York football Giants fan, so he would want the show to go on tonight, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, we have a quick comment here from Noah Dibler. Thank you very much, Noah. Do appreciate your condolences, and let's get fired up. Yeah, you, your Atlanta Falcons seemed pretty fired up on Sunday, and I was not too happy about this game. Uh, Hank, it seemed like the same script over the last two games. Go ahead early, but not by enough. Get ahead early and then lose the lead at the end of the first half and make costly mistakes. And this is what bad football teams do. And, you know, we ran into another bad football team, but we just seemed to be a little bit worse. Literally, I felt like I was watching Groundhog Day all over again, just oh, without the happy ending when I was when I was watching it. And like, you know, the sad part was when the Giants had the ball with like what around like two minutes ago, the fourth quarter. I almost like just turned the game off, but then I'm like, nah, who knows? Maybe the Falcons won't score. Shame on me for like letting my false hope get the best of me again. But what what do you expect? I've done this to myself many a year with Big Blue. I it's been brutal. And like, you know, 
I got to give it to the defense. They did a better job for the most part stopping the Falcons. I mean, sure, they gave up that late touchdown at the end of the first half, but you should also fault the Giants just as much because we should have had a much bigger lead than 6 nothing. Stop me if you've heard that before. And then, of course, you know, they take the lead in the second half. But then you had to know, despite them only giving up six points, sooner or later that defense was just going to fold like a cheap suit. And I'm not faulting the defense whatsoever. I'm just saying they've been on the field for a good amount of time. It's an, It was inevitable. It, it just felt like one of those bad movies that, like, I kind of saw the ending coming, but I just didn't want to admit it. And then once like it happened, it just, I said it last week, it does not get any easier with this team. I, I, I Sam, what's your thoughts? I, I can't do this. <laughs> Honestly, it was when, when we were up and obviously it wasn't a very big lead we had there. It was, it was like, okay, this is going in a, in the right direction. However, I'm not comfortable with this lead, especially when we ended up tying it and then tying it again. So I, I, I have to say Daniel Jones has been doing what he needs to do in his position. He really has, and he's shown it. But they're just between the injuries and, and the, the drops and everything that's going on with this offense is – it really just hard to watch. It really is. And the second that they kicked that field goal at the end of that game, I was like, this is not happening. Like we should have won this game. We should be two and one at this point. And that's, it's just unacceptable. Really. It's, 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 it's really hard. Daniel guess, Jones deserves better. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. He does. He does. Our guest from last week, things I got right. Falcons winning by three. True. Things I got wrong. About six touchdowns and a scoring prediction. I think I was the one yes. that said this is going to be a low-scoring affair. I think I was the one that said neither team's going to hit thirty. Um, neither team hit twenty. So <laughs> there you go. And before we kind of dive into the recap of this game, first off, um, thoughts and prayers go out to Blake Martinez suffering a torn ACL out for the season. I know that breaks everybody's heart. I know Sam and Hank, you invested in a Martinez jersey. Last season, not to add fuel to the fire, but um, the leader, the captain of our defense is now sidelined for the rest of the 2021 campaign. And this was probably the absolute worst blow this team could have possibly suffered. Oh, my goodness. Between Nick Gates last week, Blake Martinez this week, the second he went, he went down really early in the game, too. And when he went down at first, I thought it had to do with his ankle and I saw him walking on the sidelines, and I was like, okay, maybe maybe it's not so bad. And then, obviously, later on, we heard the news that it was a torn ACL, and he's done for the season. It's But our defense, like Hank was saying, is getting better, and we're seeing them perform a lot more. But Blake Martinez, he's, he's getting the calls in his ears. He's calling these defensive plays. He's a leader on this defense, and it's not just somebody that's just, you know, just off to the side, just part of the defense and and doing what they need to do. This is a leader of this defense, and it's it's really tough to see Blake go. And, and I just love Blake Martinez, and and I, we've shown the, the jerseys on this show in the past. It's one of the hardest injuries I think that we could have right now and for the rest of the season. I mean, you lose not one but two, two captains on this team. That I don't, it doesn't get as big of a blow as that. It really doesn't. And he was the one linebacker, he was our one, the one saving grace in our linebacking core, too. 
So it's more than just losing a, a leader. This is like one of our, this is like the, the key linebacker. And now I just know anytime I see any good, good tight end going up against the giants, I'm just, I'm afraid to watch. As we've said many a time on the show, I hate to bring that up again. I'm going to miss Blake Martinez a lot. I was really concerned about the inside linebacker depth heading into the season to begin with. It got so bad that Tate Crowder, Mr. Irrelevant from last year, is now all of a sudden our Mike linebacker. Where's Ryan Connolly when you need him? You know, uh, not to add fuel to the fire, but Noah says best the Falcons defense has looked in years. Offense looked dead for three quarters of the game, then instantly scored 10 when Kyle Pitts was actually involved in the offense. Pitts only had two catches in this game, and one of them was on that last drive that put them in field goal range. And he's right. Blake Martinez has been the leading tackler in the NFL total since 2017. Hank's mom, Jamie, says, you are all great. Oh, what a relief. Thank you so much for that comment. That, that, I'm being serious. That cheers us up a lot. We have a lot of dreadful stuff to talk about tonight. So really do appreciate that. For an obvious reason, you know why that made my day, too. <laughs> also, happy International Podcast Day. I didn't know this was a thing. So. I know. Neither did I. I saw it posted, and then I made it a graphic for my uh, personal podcasting page. Uh, yeah. Happy podcasting day, people. This is like, this is a big deal for us. Yeah, it, it is a big deal. And I've been on two podcasts today already before this. I had one at 10 a.m. and another at 11 a.m. So, um, and both were around my uh, New York Giants and Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So uh, I'll leave this comment up from Jamie for a while to, to make things feel a little <laughs> bit better. But early on in the game, first drive, Giants defense looked good. Uh, I was about to say the Saints. The Falcons go three and out. The defense looks great. And then Daniel Jones heaves up 38-yard pass to C.J. Board. But then one of our players to watch that we talked about with Noah last week, Grady Jarrett, gets a sack. And what do you know? The Giants can't score touchdowns in the red zone yet again. We acquired all these pieces in free agency. And Kenny Galladay, Kyle, Kyle Rudolph to help us score touchdowns in the red zone. And we have to kick a field goal. Final drive, end of the first quarter. We get to Atlanta's red zone again, this time their 13-yard line, another field goal. So instead of 14-0, it's 6-0. And one could argue this could have been where the Giants lost this game. Touchdowns that should have been are turning into field goals. We're leaving points off the board. And again, it really pains me to say this, but we made the Falcons' defense look like the 2012 Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. Normally, I use the 85 Bears or the 07 Giants with that. I'm not going that far. That works, too. I refuse to go that far. On a positive <laughs> note, Aaron Judge just hit a bomb. <laughs> All right. We'll, 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 we'll leave the Yankees. Team, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave the Yankees jitter out of here because I'm starting Robbie Ray tonight in my fantasy <laughs> lineup. So I, I, and I know that's exactly why Hank brought it up. But folks, No, it's it, not. I'm just – I need something I positive, you know? <laughs> Is about to become the next Patrick Willis. Mark it down. Um, yeah, Noah is a Georgia fan. Uh, good luck against Arkansas on Saturday, by the way. I think you're going to need it. The Razorbacks are a really good college team, and I heavily question the O-line. If the Falcons can heavily pressure your quarterback, your O-line yeah. is pretty bad. Um, yeah. Any, any play that involves Nate Solder is a disaster. Same thing for Billy Price. They stink. 
No, it's it's the offensive line really is one of our biggest issues. And the fact that, like Noah said, the fact that this defense, which we bashed last week, really, like we said that the Falcons defense was bad. Like mm-hmm. we really thought that this was going to be a high scoring game because of the Falcons defense. And they literally the second I was wa- I was watching this game and I was like, I thought this defense wasn't supposed to be good. And they really did. If you if I hadn't known, I would have been like, yeah, this is a great defense. This is a good defense. We only it's knew like, of what two is... players on that defense, too, no? Yeah, they they really don't have like this star defense. So the fact that our offensive line is that bad that they look great is really concerning. I'm appalled by this. Is she for real, Hank? No, my mom just <laughs> happens to support the Yankees like I do, and she raised me well. Let's just leave it at that. Oh, very nice. <laughs> but, but did I, it actually land well. in a restaurant? No, it landed in dead center. <laughs> so, man, that that really does cheer that really does cheer me up. But anyway, um, <laughs> I was about to say, um, then Atlanta all of a sudden goes into halftime with a seven to six lead. It was only a matter of time before. Atlanta was going to score. We weren't going to hold them out scoreless. And um, Evan Ingram fumbles after we lose the lead, and the crowd just annihilates Evan Ingram, just boos the crap out of him. And you kind of feel bad for this guy in, in like, a mental sense. Like, yeah. Um, Gameplay-wise, I can't stand him. I want him gone. But mentally – I mean, the fans booing, you're not setting him up for success. It's just, it's just going to screw him up even more. He's already mentally screwed. He's not going to succeed here. You just can't do it. Coming from someone who talks about how bad Evan Ingram is on the field, like on a constant basis, and how much I dislike him, like you said, Tom, on the field, he's still a person. Like, right. he's not just like this guy in your fantasy team that's letting you down. Like, he's not like a computer player he is a real person with real emotions like i don't know how i would handle that if i was a football player getting booed off of my field at at home on eli manning day i would like i would just sit in the locker room and cry that would be me you couldn't win for eli either i mean that's that's the big thing look at the end of the day as as hardcore fans as we are sometimes we just have to sit back and look at the real human side of these football players like new york Tom, we talked about this numerous times. New York, as much as you love how passionate the fan base is, it can be a toxic market. It can chew people up and spit them down. And Evan Engram, yeah, and the more I really think about it, yeah, I do feel bad for Evan Engram. And I'm not saying the criticism isn't necessarily isn't unwarranted. That's that's just how it is. But no, I love your comment, and Tom, for all. For all the hard times I give you about the baseball team you fall, I do I do respect you for still being loyal to them as well, just as you are for our G men, as tough as it's been for that team. And yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, Noah. I really do appreciate it. And by the way, I forgot to plug this sooner. In just about 15, 20 minutes, Ben Flynn, New York Giants guy, will be joining the show at 7:30 p.m. If you don't know him, he goes by New York Giants guy, and he's been in numerous pictures with license plate guy. And he got to meet with Joe Judge after the game on Sunday. So I'm really interested to hear his thoughts and get the inside scoop from him as far as what his thoughts are on the current state of this New York Giants team. But 
again, down 7-6 at halftime, and then the Giants, Saquon Barkley, finally finds the end zone towards the end of the third quarter, his first touchdown since the 2019 season, and Hank put 673 days to be exact, and then Daniel I Jones. I put that. Oh, Sam put that. I'm so yeah, I did. Yeah. I found something out, and I was like, I'm going to put that on the sheet. <laughs> wow. I, I, I'm mistaken. Whenever it's uh, numbers, I just assume it's Hank because, you know, Hank's got a biotic bi- brain, but Sam, holy smokes. No, Sam, I'm giving you credit where credit is due. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I saw that little stat, and I was like, I'm going to put that on the sheet. So, yeah, 673 days since Sa- Saquon Barkley scored a touchdown. Sam, I'd like to think that I'd like to think that being a co-host is making your brain improve too. I know. I'm like getting <laughs> stuff from both of you guys now. I'm I'm getting merged into one. Yeah, Barkley also dove from like the four yard line, so that touchdown itself was very impressive. And then um, Jones with a two point conversion, he got hit at like the four yard line too, and still tumbled his way in up fourteen seven. Then the defense just can't get off the football field. The Falcons anchored a 15-play drive. Cordell Patterson had a big 26-yard catch. And then third and goal, Logan Ryan, terrible pass interference on Kyle Pitts. And then the beautiful play action set up to Lee Smith in the end zone. All of a sudden, the game is tied. Giants fail to move the ball, punt it away. Next drive comes along. Matt Ryan takes the Falcons like three plays to get to the Giants' 25-yard line again. This Cordell Patterson guy, I mean, we Ridley got his fair share of targets, but I thought we contained him pretty well. And the same thing with Kyle Pitts until that last drive. Cordell Patterson was eating the, eating the Giants up all game long. And then the 25-yard pass to Kyle Pitts was the icing on the cake where young Hoku drills the game-winning 40-yard field goal. You couldn't have scripted this any better if you're a Falcons fan. Uh, back-to-back weeks where the Giants suffer a heartbreaking loss as time expires. 17-14 loss on Eli Manning Day. Very tough pill to swallow. It's like, it's even worse that like Eli had to come to MetLife and and watch this. Like, the day that your number is retired, the day that you're getting inducted into the Giants Ring of Honor, where he says, you know, once a giant, always a giant. I've always been a giant. I'm only a giant. Like, that is, like, really meaningful and a really big day. Like, I think the Giants should have put just a little – I mean, obviously, we were injury-ridden. Like, that is is definitely an issue, um, both offense and defensive-wise, in this game. But come on, guys. Like, we can't let Eli down after everything that he's done for us. Well, unfortunately, a lot of people did let Eli down. That's the sad thing to – the sad truth. This is and, true, but uh, Hank, what stood out to you most about this game? Sorry, I don't mean to cut you up. I want to get your initial thoughts because I know you had this on while you were up in Boston. I did. I was watching it at Cask, which is like the bar that's right across the street from Fenway Park. I think the thing that stood out to me really pretty much, it was just the same old things. Giants had their opportunities to score, did not capitalize, Defense, while they were better this time than they've been in the previous few games, they couldn't stop the Falcons when it mattered most. Now, whether you want to blame that on them being on the field too much or not, that it doesn't really matter. They just didn't stop them. And, geez, getting off the field, it turned down, hmm, I, there might, might be some guy in one of these hosts here that stresses that every single week. I don't know. Maybe that might have had something to do with it, too. But, 
just another just one of the typical classic giant games where they just they cannot capitalize. They don't always play to win. I mean, there was a moment where it was fourth and three at the Atlanta 39. They punted. Like, again, I said this last time too. The Giants don't play to win. They play not to lose. That drives me, that probably drives me more nuts about the Giants than like maybe anything else. So I don't want to get too much further into this game. I've already ranted enough about it, but I think the other thing that I want to say regarding the Eli Manning ceremony is that was a really nice touch and hit me in all the feels. This guy, by far my favorite giant of all time, greatest quarterback in franchise history. Anyone who does not appreciate Eli Manning, please just give us, give us your Jersey immediately. And really the only negative part about that is when, the, when John Mara was on, on the stage, don't get me wrong. Do I think Mara is the best owner? No, but to boo him in the middle of the ceremony, I thought that was kind of uncalled for. This is a day all about Eli Manning and recognizing the greatness of one of your franchise's all-time greats. I thought that was completely unnecessary, but other than that, it was a great ceremony. So now that Hank kind of touched upon it, let's mix up the segments a little bit before we get into pros and cons. Tea Time, a new segment that we are <laughs> debuting this week, out, which is actually not going to be called Tea Time because that is – Part of Sam's channel on the girl who talks sports. This segment is going to be turnover tea. And Sam, tonight's topic is John Mara's speech. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And there's tea to spill because Hank Hank has has talked about it. But I, when I was watching this ceremony with Eli, I was getting emotional listening to Sean O'Hara talk about him. Like they're really good friends, and you could tell like. Eli was feeling it, that the, the entire stands was feeling it. But I think it kind of threw it off when John Mara went up there. So John Mara gets up there, he starts talking, you just hear the whole stadium just shift and they start booing and everything. And Eli is back there going like this. He's throwing his hands down, like, come on, guys, like let's let's take it easy. He's trying to kind of settle us all down. And John Mara's getting booed. Now, in my opinion, I think, like Hank was saying, this is very much, like, this just ruined the whole thing. Not the whole thing, but it ruined part of it because it's just really not that great of a that great of a look for us as a fan base to do this during the, the guy who got us two Super Bowls. It's really not, it's not a good look. Another piece of John Mara tea to go along with this was towards the end of the game when who <laughs> hit the... Um, the field goal to win the game. Allegedly, John Mara kicked over a bunch of trash cans. And, well, someone heard a a loud bang. And there was a reporter and they walked over and they saw John Mara walk by and then they looked and there was a bunch of trash cans pushed on the ground. Which is very mature of of an owner of a football team to do. Um, But yeah, so John Mara is the T for this week because... He's getting booed and he's knocking over trash cans um, after we lose a game like a two-year-old, basically. So that is our turnover tea. So I want to hear your guys' thoughts um, on this whole situation with during a Ring of Honor ceremony for one of our best players in the franchise history getting booed. If you don't mind, I need to shame John Mara a little bit further, if I may. Mm-hmm. If you're going to – you're going to – you're going to go hitting trash cans after a field goal like that. Maybe you should get penalized for taunting. <laughs> so, my opinion, because I know Hank I'm sorry. Kinda... This is the guy who was enforcing it. Like, maybe you should get taunting for that. <laughs> my True. opinion on it is similar to yours, Sam. You shouldn't be booing the guy. It's disrespectful, not just to him, but it's disrespectful to Eli Manning, who's currently getting inducted. And I don't think the fan... 
Even Saquon Barkley came out and said, shouldn't be booing John Mara. That's not the time and place to do it. You can be unhappy with John Mara. You could have a negative opinion on him as an owner, but you shouldn't be booing him while he's giving a speech about the person that you are there supporting and representing. And that just looks really bad on a fan base like the New York Giants. So for the fans that were booing, I don't agree with it. I can see why they were doing it, but it's not the right place or time. And some people have admitted to me that they were at the game being a part of that booing. It's once a bunch of people start doing it, everybody follows along and starts doing it. Right, right. You know, and also, you know, there's probably people who are slightly intoxicated. Maybe they aren't even paying attention. They start hearing booze and they just jump in and they start doing it too. So peer pressure, peer pressure is a big deal. (laughs) What else really sucked about this game was Adoree Jackson had that missed pick in the end zone. That was killer. Um, Obviously, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton both left with injuries, and we'll get to their status for the week four game a little bit later. And Kadarius Toney has a 35% forced missed tackle rate, and we got the ball to him twice. He was making guys miss. And what really mind boggles me is that Colin Johnson and C.J. Board were targeted more than Kadarius Toney after Slayton and Shepard left the game. Why is why is he not getting the football? Because the Giants only scored 14 points. We didn't even get 300 yards of offense. You want to talk about dynamic football players? Why even spend the 20th overall pick on this guy if you're going to basically say, oh, you're our wide receiver six? Yeah. I don't care who's to blame between Joe Judge or, or Jason Garrett. I think not not getting him involved in your plays – for like a pick that's so high that's inexcusable and considering he was the one that was tearing up the defense there's so m- there's so many things about the giants and their play kong that just confuses me and and that's one of them and yeah it was tough it was very tough joe judge did not coach his best game either um over three on challenges now as the giants head coach his career record drops to six and 13 and for the second straight year, the Giants are now 0-3. Walt says Giants are off to a great start to the season and asks, is Kenny G worth a start this week? Here's my answer to that. If you don't have anyone better, start him. If you have other options, don't start him because he's going to be blanketed by Marshawn Lattimore, especially with Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton being out. While he may get some more targets, I think if you have better options, use them. But to play devil's advocate, he might get those targets that Sterling Shepard usually gets. Because like I said, our WR2 and WR3 are more than likely both going to be out in this game. So maybe I just talked myself into telling you to start Kenny Galladay. I view him more (laughs) as a flex player this week than as a wide receiver too. So that's my stance on him, Alec. And I believe James just posted this. Better not lose on Strahan Day. I swear to God, against the Eagles – Literally nothing would bring me less joy than that. We need to win that game. Oh, that's my most hated team too, so I completely agree. Um, Let's see. Blake Martinez out for the season. Um, There are some pros to this game. Aziz Ojolari now has a sack in each of his first three NFL games. That uh, Also, he forced a fumble on that one sack. Shades of O.C. Umanura. First player to do this since Terrell Suggs in 2003. And it's a shame because the Giants as a team only have six sacks and Ojolari has half of them. And Noah's going to comment, yes, 
another Georgia Bulldog making his presence known on this Giants defense. So it was nice to see him get a sack. Leonard Williams got his first sack of the season finally. Um, yeah, Aziz Ojolari has been a real diamond in the rough for the Giants so far this season. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. It's really – I think that he's been doing more things as a second-round pick than Kadarius Tony has as a first-round pick, which is bonkers to think about because as a wide receiver in the first round, you would think that it would be a much bigger deal than a defensive player in the second round. But Easy there. Oh, Noah. Let's shoot it down a little bit there, buddy. That, that, that was not the most uh, intelligent <laughs> comment, and Noah's very bright young guy. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, but what's crazy, too, this defense, they've had a takeaway in each of the three games. The Giants narrowly won time of possession, and we were much better on third down, but we still couldn't savor this one out. I mean, Kenny Galladay had his best game as a Giant. He had four catches. Um, Colin Johnson was pretty good. And Daniel Jones, yet again, had a really good football game. I mean, there's no other way to put it. The impact of Daniel Jones has been outstanding. He didn't have Sterling Shepard. He didn't have Darius Slayton. He still threw for 266 yards. He is the fourth-ranked QB on pro football focus as far as passing goes, an 84.1 passing grade. Through three games, he has almost 800 yards passing, and he is the eighth-ranked quarterback on pro football focus this season, not to mention he's one of five starting QBs who are yet to throw an interception. I mean, th- that was the point, right? Was that it was as long as he gets his turnovers under control, like what a great quarterback, like what a great offensive guy to have. Daniel yeah. Jones is not a bad quarterback. And I will never agree with people, especially right now, who are talking about Daniel Jones being the problem. Daniel Jones is not the issue here. Daniel Jones is doing everything in his power to make this offense work. And it's just kind of hard. There's a lot of things that are working against him. Drops. You know, the turnovers have been good, but those have been an issue in the past. Daniel Jones is a great quarterback. He can run. He can throw. He can target. And once our entire offense finally figures it out and finally, like, is like, wow, catching balls is how we win games. Unstoppable. It's really going to be like a game changer when people are like, oh, right, we have to score points to win games. Got it. I'm going to go as far as to say if the offense can figure it out, maybe, just maybe, he steals a few games later on that maybe we shouldn't win. Yeah. But, yeah, no, he he's totally the problem. Not. A lot of people need to realize, and Tommy, no, we're not saying he's a great quarterback, but he's showing signs of improvement. Everybody he's reliable, said, too. He yeah. is very reliable, and if we didn't have Daniel Jones, we would definitely miss him because he's been one of the top 10 to 12 quarterbacks in football the first three weeks of the season. We're not saying he's great, but he has not turned the ball over. He's been accurate on the on the deep ball, and he's played behind an atrocious offensive line who <laughs> – lost two of their starters due to season-ending injuries. I don't know what more we have to say to possibly defend Daniel Jones here, Um, which brings me to our New York Giants player of the week. Speaking of our offensive line, it is not a good unit, but our New York Giants player of the week is a fellow offensive lineman who we all agreed on, and it is starting left tackle Andrew Thomas. 
is our New York Giants player of the week in his second season. Look at the stats that he's put up. Only five pressures and no sacks allowed. And Hank, I think you wrote that one down. And yes, I did. He's been I had deep. to like I had to look at um I think it was either PFF or it was one of the Giants Wires articles that I was reading to make sure it was true. And yeah, it was basically 130 passing plays. He was only he only allowed five pressures and zero sacks. That's a huge improvement when you look at what his numbers were in the first half of last season. And now that he's really got his like he's he's like started to get himself like comfortable in the left tackle position, I I think he he's probably going to become one of our better members of said offensive line. And yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I knew exactly where you were going with that comment. <laughs> <laughs> Ojalari and Thomas, both Georgia Bulldogs. Um, with the exception of the Andre Baker, those Bulldogs seem to do pretty decent here. And he's been better <laughs> than Wills, Becton, and Worth so far this season. And I think part of the reason why he's done so well is because he was started day one. Again, he was the fourth overall pick last year. We knew he was going to struggle, which he did. He sucked for a while, and then he got better. And the Giants refused to do that with Matt Parrott for some reason. There must be something I don't know, but... I love Nate Solder as a person, but as a football player on the field, I can't stand him anymore starting at right tackle. He shouldn't be there. Let Matt Pert learn and develop and be that starting right tackle that we need him to be. And that's why Andrew Thomas is our player of the week. He's been the top performer on a really bad offensive line. And before we bring up our guest, uh, I just want to go over a couple of plays to prove why I think Andrew Thomas has made progress in year two. Um, I'm going to quickly share my screen here. This is short, about 30 seconds long. And so there's three plays and we have two looks of each play. So the first play here is actually the first offensive play of the game where he's blocking Dante Fowler Jr., who is a pretty good edge rusher and sets up a nice screen for Barkley. Here it is in slow motion. Watch how, look at his hand placement and his footwork takes Fowler down and here's the second one where he's just pancakes Fowler. Watch this. Down to the he's ground he goes. Down. And then he sets the lead block on a two-point conversion. If he doesn't set that block, Jones is down in the backfield. Because Billy Price wasn't quick enough to get to the cutoff guy. Because Jones got hit at the four-yard line to begin with. But Thomas sealed the edge. And that's the reason why we scored on that play. So, Yeah. yeah. I, he's definitely too. improved since last year. I remember last year coming on the, the show a few times um, and in the offseason saying that and Andrew Thomas had to had to work on a few things in the offseason and make himself better. And I think he's applied them and, and he's definitely a much better, much better offensive lineman than originally. Absolutely. Gettleman is the problem. I agree with Tommy. You know, like you I said, um, Falcons defense played a lot better. Giants are 0-3 for the second straight season. Um, it's announced that Jason Garrett will remain the play caller. Dave Gettleman's days could be numbered at GM, Tommy. I definitely agree with that. I understand injuries have haunted this team, Nick Gates and Blake Martinez in particular. But now we currently sit here with the hot, with the hardest remaining schedule in the NFL. Is it time to push the panic button? That's the real question. And I never like to do that three games into a season. Um, you know, it's just something that I refuse to do. But at this time, I want to get his thoughts on this topic as well. Our special guest of the evening, Ben Flynn, 
also known as New York Giants guy, Ben. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you tonight? I'm good. How about you guys? Thanks for having me on. Doing awesome. Doing awesome. And um, could you um, just tell us a little bit about yourself? I checked out your YouTube channel. I know you do some vlogs. I know you go to all the Giants games and whatnot. So you could tell us a little bit about that. Oh, well, yeah, my goal is to go to every single game. I've been doing it for three seasons now. The first season, I was 18 years old. I went to nine or 10 games. Then uh, 2019, I went to 13 games. Then last year, I was hoping to make it to all of them. But then, of course, COVID shut it down. So all the stadiums were closed. This year, um, yeah, I'm perfect so far on attendance this year. I'll be in New Orleans on Sunday, then Dallas and as the schedule keeps going on, I'll be at the rest of them. But yeah, I'm 21 years old. I pretty much, that's pretty much it. I go to football games and I work during the week to fund it. Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, I, I've seen you with LPG a few times. We've had him on our channel uh, a couple of times. I know. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's great to see that somebody as young as you is very committed to this football team, especially in a very, very difficult time for this franchise, which you know, I like to remain optimistic. I think the Giants do have potential to turn things around. But, you know, as of right now, um, I don't know. Maybe it is time to push the panic button in some respects. I'm not sure. What do you think about that, Ben? I'm always the last person to give up on the team. I see a whole lot of fans leaving early. I'm so optimistic that we're going to win next week and we'll beat Dallas. We'll be 2-3 and three and we'll right back in it. That's how, that's how I always approach it. I'm never really going to, you know, give up on them like some other fans. But, yeah, you just got to stay optimistic. Awesome. Uh, Sam, I, I think we kind of were, were concerned because it was, it was the Falcons. It was a game that we should have won. And if we win that, we're 1-2 right back in the thick of things in the NFC East because two other teams are 1-2 and two as well. Absolutely. And the thing with the Falcons is that we were expecting one thing and got something completely different. So, Ben, I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway from Sunday's game? Like what what came out of that game that really stuck with you? You know, I was impressed with the defense and the offense did look much better than scoring 14 points. Uh, One thing that I, I just hate how we always start the drive very nicely. And, you know, I'll get into the coaching later, but how. We start off a drive very well, and then, you know, it just gets called back with holdings and then conservative play calling. I think we have to execute on the end of drives because it seems like we have the weapons to be scoring 30 points a game, and then just every single game we're scoring 17. I mean, we, we definitely could score points. I was happy with Daniel Jones, how he's progressing, and definitely the offensive line. And it was nice to see Saquon get in the end zone. So I think we're, you know, we're slow, slowly and steadily getting there where we want to be. But it's not good enough just yet. So now looking at the Giants, there's a lot of big things that can be said about them. There's the offensive line hasn't been great. Defense, for the most part, got off to a slow start. You can say what you want about the coaching, whether it's whether it's really Judge or Jason Garrett, who's to blame. I don't really know the answer, but Ben, in your opinion, what do you think is the biggest issue with the Giants? In my it's 100% Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett and then Dave Gettleman. I mean, you you can't 
Dave Gettleman puts the whole thing together, but on the field, you have to put it on Jason Garrett because we have all the weapons in the world and just the conservative play calling, how we have guys like Saqu- Kadarius Tony, the first-round pick, and Saquon Barkley and a top 15 wide receiver in Kenny Galladay, and we're not using them the right way, how – Every single game, I see Kenny Galladay, four catches, 60 yards. So why isn't he getting 15 targets a game? It seems to be every single time Kenny Galladay gets targeted, it's either a catch or a defensive pass interference because they're all over him. They can't guard him. And yet, whether when things are working, he just stops doing it. So, you know, we see uh, Kadarius Toney having a nice drive, and then the rest of the game, they don't give him the ball once. Right. Right. I think those are good points. They are good points because they were using Colin Johnson and CJ Board more than Kadarius Tony. It's like, what is his role on this football team? And now that's kind of where we jump into our preview of week four, where the New Orleans Saints were going into the Superdome, which, by the way, I saw the Giants will be debuting the white pants this week. So that's a little white pants. Yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> Very exciting. But the Saints are two and one. Actually, I was on a podcast this morning with a couple of Saints fans and they tried to tear me to pieces but I stood my ground strong um Saints are coming off a 28 to 13 win against the New England Patriots and Jameis Winston is their quarterback now I know Michael Thomas is on the pup list but Hank history has not been on the Giants side the law of averages when the Giants play the Saints the Giants are two and six and Sean Payton has become their head coach and Sean Payton used to be the Giants offensive coordinator Yeah, that's right. And not only was he our offensive coordinator, he's also one of many successful coaches that came from the Bill Parcells tree. And as a matter of fact, the last time they played the Saints, that was, I believe that was 2018. I can't remember what week it was. It was like right around October. Same week where, no. No, I'm thinking 2016. No, I know it was right around the same week where the Yankees got eliminated by the Red Sox that year. But anyways, they lost that game 33 to 18. Last time we beat them actually was the home opener of 2016. But the real sad fact about the Saints, they have not won a game at the Superdome since 1993. Now, you remember, you may remember the Giants had a road game in 05, but that was only because the Saints couldn't use the Superdome because of Hurricane Trina. But in any event, what do you expect from the Saints on Sunday, but Ben? I don't know. Well, they're they're very um they have a very uh how do I say it? It's like it's not a regular playbook how they use different sets and different quarterbacks and they, they can really do anything to you. And as a defense, you gotta be prepared for all of it, whether it's Taysom Hill at quarterback or Winston or Taysom Hill at wide, Camara. They got a bunch of weapons and they they can really drive the ball different ways. So as a defense, you got to really be prepared for what's coming. And I think uh, this is a game where I've, I've been thinking the Giants the past couple of games have been playing to not lose the game instead of to win the game. You know, we're, I feel like sometimes Jason Garrett's trying to play ball control football. And, you know, it's okay to just keep the game through a, a tie game or a three-point game. And hopefully we can be the ones closing it out at the finish. But I, I thought with the Falcons, we were outplaying them the whole game. And then we just weren't scoring the ball. We weren't scoring points. And then it came back to bite us at the end of the game. I feel like with the Saints, we have to have more aggressive play calling, get the ball in our playmakers' hands, keep feeding Saquon, Galladay, Tony. Hopefully, if Shepard and Slayton are healthy, 
Hopefully we can get them the ball too. But we got to keep playing aggressive. We can't just keep playing conservatively because that when you're playing a tight game with the Saints in the Superdome, it's not going to end well unless you're going for it. Yeah, and we have a comment from Andy Hopper saying, what's up all, checking in from work. Andy says, just hoping to hear how much Tom loves Gettleman and Garrett, uh, <laughs> the double the double Gs. Uh, I, I oh love them goodness. so much. I, I, can't, I can't get enough of them, Andy. Cannot get enough of them. They <laughs> they really um, keep keep my hair its natural color. And says, Jameis <laughs> is about to tear the Giants up. Don't I don't James know about that. That's, that's such a conflicting comment because Andy and I became friends because of Jameis Winston. So it's like I get it, but also this is this is not the this is not the time and place for that, Andy. Not the time and place. There's there's one more thing I wanted to add to that about Jameis Winston. I'm pretty sure I saw a stat. He's never played two consecutive games without throwing an interception. I feel like the Giants have to bring the pressure. Aziz Williams. Yeah got to bring in the house because if soon as Jameis Winston starts when if he's under pressure he's going to be throwing up the ball and hopefully we can get some interceptions and we have to capitalize on those we can't be dropping the interceptions anymore now Ben I saw you took a picture with coach Joe Judge after the game on Sunday um saying that we're going to be all right what are your thoughts on that because obviously you know Joe Joe Judge is a guy that I love as this head coach I want him to be this head coach for a very long time but Obviously, of course, you know, the, the media is going to speculate and, and whatnot, but um, did it give you a little reassurance talking to him and kind of getting that confidence from him? You know, I don't I kind of took it with a grain of salt because I see him almost every game after the game, and he seems to say the same thing every single time, well, we're going to be all right. But at what point does it like, all right, you, you can say that to make yourself look good, but, you know, the, right now we're 0-3, and – I almost feel like Coach Judge, he's like – during the week at practice, he looks like a perfect coach, and then the whole coaching staff on game day is completely different. You know, they don't execute on game day how they sound like they will during the week. And I think Coach Judge has big potential, but I feel like the Jason Garrett has to have a big game or else I'm ready to move on to Freddie Kitchens and call the plays. You know, some, sometimes I almost feel like they can <laughs> – I, I almost feel like they can handpick fans out of the stands to call better plays than Jason Garrett <laughs> some weeks. It's just so predictable, you know, draw first and 10, gains two yards, then a pass incomplete, third and nine, of course, we're not running the ball. It's just so predictable sometimes. And I, I saw another stat that Daniel Jones is the lowest in the league by far with the percentage of his yards being yards after the catch. That it almost seems like uh, I think it was about thirty percent, and then you see guys at the top of the list like Matthew Stafford with the Rams. He's at about sixty-six percent, meaning that he can throw a ball twenty yards and they're gaining another forty on him. But whenever Daniel Jones makes a pass, there nobody's really being schemed open, and it's really hurting the offense. No, I appreciate this comment, but I don't think that's I was the right say job. Say that. Hey, I, I got my vote as well for that. Ben, so moving on now, we look at some of the transactions the team has made this week, and obviously the big 100-pound elephant in the room is the offensive line, right? And what's happened with the offensive line this season? We've lost Shane Lemieux, which is very unfortunate, but we kind of thought Ben Bredesen might be a slight upgrade, right? Nick Gates 
was a demoralizing injury for this offensive line. He was the captain. He was the anchor. So what do the Giants do? They signed Wes Martin off of Washington's practice squad, a 2019 fourth-round pick. And the Giants did some shuffling this week. They signed linebacker Omari Cobb to the practice squad, and then they terminated the contracts of three players, Matt Cole, Willie Henry, Foster Sorrell. And what does that do? Not only do we add Wes Martin, we add Isaiah Wilson. And this is a very controversial topic where a lot of fans have mixed opinions on bringing in Isaiah Wilson. I understand it's to the practice squad, but first I wanted your thoughts. Um, You know, you seem to be optimistic on the signing considering his poor track record in the NFL. Um, What are your thoughts on Isaiah Wilson and what he could bring to the table? Because it seems like a low risk, high reward type of signing. Well, I'm, I personally love the move bringing him inside uh, in the building because I, I see so many fans are like uh, off the field. We, we don't want the off the field issues like Odell Beckham Jr. But at some point, it's like I want the I want the ta- most talented players on the team. I don't really care about their off field stuff as long as when they're in the building and on the field, they're doing their thing. That's all I care about. And. If we can get another cornerstone right tackle to play along Andrew Thomas, I feel like those two guys can really hold the line down. So hopefully he can uh, get his thing going with the Giants. And I would love to see him get a uh, play right tackle over Nate Solder. I just have to say I read an article about Isaiah Wilson today. And while there's a lot of things that have happened off the field in terms of trouble with the law and things like that, he was released by the Tennessee Titans. And they was picked up briefly by the Miami Dolphins and he like didn't show up for things that he was supposed to he was hours late for meetings interviews things like that so I hope that that's not what he's bringing here because that's in the building things and those really are not the best things to come off of as a, as a new guy like you want to make a good impression so hopefully those are things that he's left in his past and once he's coming to New York it's it's something a little bit different Right. I I only caught the second part of that. It was a bit little static. I couldn't really hear. But yeah, you were were saying that uh, off the like he was uh, missing meetings and all that when when not for the New York Giants, for the Miami Dolphins, when he was there very briefly after he left the Tennessee Titans. So he he missed some meetings. He would say he went to voluntary um, practices and he didn't show up, that kind of thing. You know, I don't know. That, that's a thing of the past for me. I, I think it's a new track record with the Giants. Let's just hope he shows up this week. He's in the bill. I mean, if you guys saw his Instagram story uh, or post, it looks like he uh, he put like a whole uh, paragraph out there that he's ready to change. So I, I hope he does because I would love to have him play right tackle here. I would too. Um, he did have two stints on the COVID-19 reserve list last year in addition to a team suspension. But uh one thing I found interesting, and again, this kid's only 22 years old, but he's a big fan of SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, and I don't understand why this was in his bio, but it was. And I found that out. I, I follow Chris the Entertainer on YouTube, and he was reading it off today, like so nonchalantly. I'm like, wow. <laughs> It's Crazy so funny. Stuff. Tom Tom sent that to me in a Snapchat, and I literally I, like sat there and watched it like three times because I thought it was so funny. <laughs> that's awesome, actually. I being a '90s kid, I love me some SpongeBob SquarePants. I mean, SpongeBob's great. That's great, but that's just so random. <laughs> Bulldog Giants. 
Hey, I hope he succeeds too. I think I honestly, the more I look at it, I actually think it's potentially. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong with that comment. It's kind of <laughs> ridiculous as that sounds. I mean, I'm sorry. What was I trying to say? Something about. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, a, I actually Isaiah. think it's a good pickup. Like yeah. I was, the more I really thought about it, he's, he's got, he, he had a bad, sorry. What was I trying to say? He had a bad moment when he was with the Miami Dolphins, skipping the practices. But if he's really sincere about trying to become a changed man with the Giants, and the Giants have had moments where they've turned around the careers of some players. So who knows? I I like this. And if he becomes uh, what Dave Gettleman likes to call a hog molly, I'm for it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And Ben, another thing too, John Ross is expected to return this week. There are reinforcements on the way in. Not to mention, we haven't had our third and fourth round pick come off the pup list yet. So it's not like this is the full defense that we're going to see. So offensively and defensively, there's still some missing pieces on the way back. And John Ross is one of them. Yeah, I'm, I I would uh, I would like John Ross to play on the outside, have Tony in the slot and Galladay on the other outside. It would be pretty dynamic because – I don't, Daniel Jones is one of the best deep ball uh, passers in the league statistically, and yet everyone still uh, hates on him. You know, Danny Dimes, I think he's – it would be nice to get a deep ball receiver on the field. Hopefully he can uh, – if he stays healthy, I think he would be a good addition to this offense. And I would like to see a less conservative play call and hopefully we can take some more deep shots down the field besides for the free plays. Absolutely. And now we're going to dive into our keys of the game, playing against the New Orleans Saints, a team that just lost their quarterback last season to retirement in Drew Brees. Jameis Winston takes over, gets a another contract with the team after being Brees' backup last season. And um, my first key of the game is to win that turnover battle. The Saints have caused the second most turnovers in the league. Ben, you mentioned an interesting stat before. Jameis has never gone two games in a row without throwing an interception. So that's something I really look to find out uh, to see if, you know, that could happen this week against the Giants because I think the strength and teeth of our defense is our secondary. Um, I'd expect with, you know, Blake Martinez out, Jabril Peppers is probably going to be playing some linebacker to help out Tay Crowder, more of like a hybrid type of role since we do have three starting caliber safeties. So I think that's a, a change you would like to see in, I think, look, we've still forced a lot of turnovers despite the defense looking okay. But one thing that, like, your average fan just may not understand, the scheme changed from last year. It's not going to be as bread and butter as it once was in 2020 because last year, Patrick Graham, it was a lot of cover two, cover three, a lot of zone. Now we've transitioned into this press man scheme, and everyone's expecting the whole team to learn it overnight. Remember, we have a lot of young players on this team. We have a lot of new players on this team. So it's going to take a few weeks before we see this defense hit its peak. They only gave up 17 points last week to the Falcons, but they're still not there yet, which hopefully they continue to improve. So I think creating some turnovers is definitely key for this game. Uh, what do you think, Hank? Yeah, I agree. I think definitely turnovers are one of the big things the Giants need in order to have like – a better game against the Saints, and again, it's very possible. We know what James, we know what famous James is like. You never know when he's going to have one of those games where he throws 
a bad interception, but at the same time, he's also somebody you got to watch out for because in my honest opinion, I've always been of the belief that that Jameis Winston has been a talented quarterback. My issue with him is he hasn't always had the brains, but you know what? With Sean Payton, who knows? I think that probably could be him being in a better situation. Ben, before I get to your thoughts, I just I want to pin this comment from Brian McArdle because this is very interesting. This is a Tampa Bay Bucks fan who used to have Jameis Winston as his quarterback, and this is what he says. As a Bucks fan, don't let the LASIK surgery fool you. Jameis <laughs> and interceptions go together like Peyton Manning and audibles. Enjoy the win this week. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. <laughs> wow. What a statement. <laughs> I want – Whatever optimism, optimistic pills you have about you have about the Giants right now. <laughs> I would also like them, please. You know, I, I don't think uh, the Saints are uh, as good of a team as everyone's making it seem to be, and I don't think this win would be so out of reach. I would not be shocked if we win on Sunday, but I, it's definitely a must-win game to get back in the win column. And I, I would love to see our season turn around because I'm still optimistic. Get the win against the Saints beat Dallas. We're two and three. We're right back in it. But like I said, we just got to bring the pressure against the Saints, play more aggressive, and I would definitely not be surprised. Hopefully get some interceptions on the defense as well. I definitely agree with you there, Ben. Make sure to go check out Brian McGardle, folks, at From the Stand Sports College Football Show every week. John Rankin says Kamara will run wild again and I guess that's another key, Sam, containing Alvin Kamara, because without Michael Thomas, that's their catalyst offensively. Absolutely. Absolutely. The 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 Saints are still the Saints, and people have undermined them a bit with Drew Brees being gone, but even and even with Michael Thomas being injured, they're still a very good team. And we're moments away from the Super Bowl um just a few years ago. So if it wasn't for a pass interference call, you know, they might have a Super Bowl under their belts from from a few years ago. But in terms of like our off um I'm sorry, our defense, someone that unfortunately we won't be having is Blake Martinez. And I think that that is a critical loss to our defense. So Ben, I'm curious, who do you think is going to be the one that steps up um to fill that role for for Blake? I would like to see a more O'Shea and Eximenez. You know, a, a, a year or two ago, back when he was on the field, he was playing nicely for uh, in his limited opportunities. But I would like to see more of him. Also, as you mentioned, maybe Jabril Peppers come play some linebacker. We could put Julian Love uh, in the secondary. We can really mix and match because we have a lot of uh, pieces on the secondary that are capable of playing. I agree with that. I also think um, Carter Coughlin showed a lot of promise in the preseason. Obviously, the number one option is going to be Tay Crowder because that's who starts alongside Blake. And then you have Reggie Ragland as well. But I think O'Shane Zimenez is a guy I would like to see more. If I'm not mistaken, did he even play in the Falcons game? I don't know if he recorded a a single I don't believe I saw him on the field. And he was dressed too. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, Tay Crowder is definitely the number one option. And Ella, Carter Coughlin did look very good in the preseason. So it would be nice to uh, see him as long, you know, maybe get a rotation going so everyone stays fresh. I agree because before he got hurt his senior year at Minnesota in college, he was projected to be a late first round pick. And then that injury turned him into a seventh round pick. And now he's starting to look really good. So I'm really excited about that. But 
Hank, we mentioned this again and again and again. We have to protect Daniel Jones this week. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, when you've got Cameron Jordan, Peyton Turner, and Zach Bond to deal with, those are very good edge rushers. Got to be careful with them. But, you know, that reminds me, seeing a protection of Daniel Jones, I'm going to assume, Ben, that just like you, just like me, Tom, and Sam, you are on the pro Daniel Jones train. Am I correct? Yeah, I absolutely love Daniel Jones. And, you know, I, I see so much Daniel Jones slander all over social media. And uh, if you guys didn't know, Daniel Jones is only one of four quarterbacks this year to not throw an interception yet. And I believe he has one in the last nine games uh, dating back to last year. And I I really think he has the talent. It would just uh, be nice if Garrett will let him start throwing the ball downfield more. Yeah, that's what I think we've mentioned that several times on this show already. And we're only going into our fourth show and we've talked about him throwing the ball more a lot. And that one interception that Ben just mentioned was off of Evan Ingram's hands. Yes, that's true. Fun fact. Um, Danny Dimes has to win the QB bat, which I think he will. I think he can, but it's down to the players around him to do so. Yeah, and if he doesn't have Sterling Shepard, if he doesn't have Darius Slayton, that's that's going to hurt. you got to get the ball to guys like Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Toney. Please open up the playbook, Jason Garrett. Um, Joe Judge stated that Jason Garrett will continue to call plays in week four. Kenny Galladay has not been used as much as I would have liked them to be used in these first three games. Ben, what do you attribute that to? Is is there something outside of the play calling? Is Galladay just still trying to get a little adjusted to this scheme, or is it strictly just a play calling thing for you? I, I really think it's just the play calling because even uh, back in Detroit, he was never a guy that got a lot of separation. And I just feel like uh, it could be a little bit of Daniel Jones as well. But, you know, if I were Danny, I'd be comfortable throwing to him because it seems to be every single time, he, uh, whether he's contested or not, he's making the catch. So whether he has separation or not, you just got to learn to keep throwing the ball up to him because he makes a 50 ball more like a 75-25 ball. And if nobody else is open, maybe take some shots down the field, especially in a tight game. I agree. And one other person that I want to see get more involved as far as receiving goes in this offense is Caden Smith. This is a guy who in 2019 looked like Daniel Jones's best friend on the field. In fact, Caden Smith's touchdown in 2019 is the reason why Chase Young is not a New York Giant. So, this is a guy that they have to find a way to get more involved because I don't think Evan Ingram's here long-term. I think Caden Smith could potentially be our tight end of the future. If I'm being honest, I think he can, he can block well. He can receive well when he's ever in on 12 personnel. They just don't give him the ball enough. His PFF grade is 80.9. That is the fourth ranked tight end in the national football league, according to pro football focus. Now, obviously these numbers are a little inflated. They take several different, you know, averages into account. But Caden Smith is a really underrated player that doesn't get talked about enough when it comes to the New York Giants. That's just how I feel. How do you guys feel about Caden Smith? Because, again, I talk to some fans. They don't even know who Caden Smith is. I like you know, him. Let, him, let him have a shot. Why not? I, I feel like whenever he's on the field, he does his thing. I remember uh, a year or two ago, he was almost like a meme here with the Giants, like, oh, Caden Smith. But it seems to be whenever he, he he almost never drops the ball, he comes in clutch moving the ball down the field and his limited opportunities on the field because right now he's third on our depth chart. 
And Sam, Noah's comment, red nose tight end, Kyle Rudolph. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that we definitely need to be utilizing our tight ends more, especially now that we have depth here. And obviously, Evan Ingram is having his issues with his drop balls, but he's not our only tight end. We have Caden Smith, who I definitely was some someone that like I had his name in the back of my brain, but he was never like someone that I was constantly thinking about. And if we're picking up Kyle Rudolph in free agency, why are we not using him? Like what? Like the whole point was to get better in the red zone, right? And re- Kyle Rudolph is a red zone tight end, a reliable red zone tight end. Why are we not using him in the red zone? So use Caden Smith to get down the field. He's reliable. And then give it to Kyle in the end zone. Oh, bing, bang, boom. We got seven points on the board. Like it's, it seems like it would be so simple. And yet we're not doing that. I would like to see Kenny Galladay more in the red zone as well. As we saw against the Falcons on Sunday, uh, Daniel Jones threw a little fade up to him, and it was a pass interference. The guy was all over him. So I almost feel like if you toss it up to him, he's either going to draw a penalty or it's going to be a touchdown most of the time. And that was my last key to the game, execute in the red zone. And what really concerns me about playing against the Saints is that they have the sixth-ranked defense in the entire NFL. They held Green Bay to just three points in week one. Some argue that was a fluke of the game because of Rodgers and all the off-the-field drama queens. But, look, I'm not going to get into that. The Saints defense has given up the third-fewest points in the NFL, and their red zone defense ranks number one in the entire National Football League. This is the best red zone defense in the NFL. I understand it's a small sample size. You're going off three games where they played the Packers, they played the Patriots. So, you know, right then and there – the Giants could easily inflate that number a little bit this week, which is now where we kind of dive into our next segment, our players to watch. And I want each of us to give at least one player to watch for each team. And Ben, as the guest, I'll start with you. Who's one player on the Giants and one player on the Saints that you think that both teams need to keep an eye out for on Sunday? I think for the Giants, it definitely has to be Daniel Jones. You know, I would like – I really love when the Giants start using him in designed read options. It really opens up the playbook because when, when he's scrambling, he's all, he has really has nowhere to go. But whenever we got those design read options going, it seems like the defense is always baiting towards Saquon Barkley. And then he could, he always has a ton of space and outruns the whole defense. And I really think if we could get him going uh, in the running game, I think that would be a big step to scoring more points this week. And I really think, you know, with uh, Michael Thomas out with the Saints, I think definitely Alvin Kamara, whether it's in the screen game, you just have to uh, contain him. And I I really think our defense will be just fine. Yeah, I mean, not to mention Kamara had 21 total touchdowns last year. That was the most in the NFL. And, you know, we don't have Dalvin Tomlinson to help stop him in the run game, in the interior, and Blake Martinez as well. So that definitely does concern me. Uh, Sam, who are your players to watch? I think for the Giants, it's definitely going to be Saquon because we've been seeing him slowly and slowly each week getting better. And, I mean, we saw that beautiful Saquon-like touchdown last week where he leaped into the end zone, and it was really quite beautiful. So I definitely think that he's getting stronger. He's getting more confident um, in his injury and, and dealing with it. So I would say we definitely have to keep an eye out for him. And in terms of the saints that I think one of the scariest people on that team is Taysom Hill because of how utilized he is with the wildcat plays and all of the different things that he can do for the saints. 
is not something the Giants defense is used to seeing and dealing with. So it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye out. And I think that with Michael Thomas out, yes, Alvin Kamara is going to be used. But Marquez Callaway is kind of like this backup wide receiver that not really too many people are paying attention to. But he is a really, really good wide receiver. So I definitely think that we should make sure that we cover him and make sure that they don't utilize him in the way that they would Michael Thomas. So for my players to watch, I was originally going to go with Saquon Barkley as well, but I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction than you guys might expect. And Saquon, I while I do think Saquon is slowly improving, that doesn't happen without one of your better offensive linemen. And with that said, I'm going to give it to Andrew Thomas because, as I said at the beginning of the show, he has shown a dramatic amount of improvement from last year. He has not allowed a single sack and very little pressure. And I think this could also enable Daniel Jones to have another potential good game. And as one of my old football coaches often says, whenever I praise a good running back's performance, he's always quick to remind me he can't do it without a good offensive lineman. And I honestly think left tackle is one of the most important positions on a football field. So that's why I'm going to give it to Andrew Thomas. Now for the Saints – the player that I think is you got to watch out for, it's Alvin Kamara. And for two reasons. One, he scored 21 touchdowns last year. A, a, someone who you would have loved to have on your fantasy team. But at the same time, he's also by far one of the more dynamic players on the Saints offense. And not to mention, I think another reason I'm going to give it to Alvin Kamara, this Giants defensive unit is very banged up. You don't have Blake Martinez. That could be a, that's going to be a huge problem, and not to mention losing Dalvin Tomlinson is another factor in that possibly Alvin Kamara having a good game. I think he was another player that really strengthened this this defensive line, and I think you're seeing early on how much losing him really hurt. Oh yeah, well Danny Shelton misses way too many tackles for my liking. Austin Johnson's okay, but he's no Dalvin Tomlinson, and Noah says. Bradbury and Winston. Well, yeah, Winston for sure. Bradbury for sure. I think those are two viable players. Um, For me, no shocker, Jabril Peppers. I think he's got to step up big. He immediately becomes a new leader on this defense. I'm really intrigued to see how he performs. Uh, Deontay Harris scares me a little bit for the Saints. He kind of reminds me of Cordell Patterson from last week. This is a guy who went to a small Division II school at Assumption College. He actually leads the way for the Saints with six catches and 112 yards. You mentioned Taysom Hill. What is one position you always have to watch when you play against the Giants? Tight end. Tight end. And his name is Jawan Johnson. I went on a a podcast earlier today with with Michael Balco on the Michael Balco show, and he was saying Jawan Johnson had a really solid performance in week one against the Packers scoring two touchdowns against Green Bay. Not to mention the Giants should have given up a touchdown to Kyle Pitts last week. And then week two, you know, Logan Thomas had 45 receiving yards. So, you know, right then and there, the tight end is always a concern, especially with the anchor of our defense being out. So I think those are a couple players. Marshawn Lattimore as well. One scary stat that I saw, and this guy's going to be matched up against Kenny Galladay. Not only did he pick off Mac Jones last week, but he is ranked number one in all of football and PFF world. 88 overall defensive grade and an 87.1 coverage grade. 
So Marshawn Lattimore has a real shot to blanket Kenny Galladay on Sunday. And that means that the Giants need to use more guys like Kadarius Toney, as Noah brings up a good point. 14 receiving yards and 24 yards after the catch. Don't even know how that is possible. It's ridiculous. Do know how that's possible? Well, I know he had a few negative yards. I think it's possible because they're not really utilizing him enough, which, as we've said numerous times, that's disturbing. If, if especially if it's a guy you're committing as your first round pick, can't have that. I think you just got to get him the ball in open space and let him do his thing. Because as we saw last week, if you just get him the ball with a little bit of space to move, he can really make something happen, just like Saquon in the open mm-hmm. field. And especially with uh, Lattimore uh, shadowing Kenny Galladay, you got to get him the ball a lot more. I would like to see maybe six, seven catches this week. Yeah, definitely has to be much more than four for sure. Um, Noah brings up a good point. Johnson is a trusted target for Winston. And now quickly through the injury report, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, both did not practice today with hamstring injuries. If neither of them gets limited reps on Friday, then they will definitely be unlikely to play on Sunday, which is very concerning. Ben Bredesen, our starting left guard, has a hand injury. Who is going to start at left guard on Sunday if Ben Bredesen doesn't play? I mean, there's two options. It's either Matt Skura or Wes Martin, who we just picked off the practice squad. You can't start Matt Parrott at left guard. No, he's way too good. I would imagine it's got to be Skura because doesn't he have experience playing guard? Like, remember, he had to fill in for Marshall Yonda one of his first seasons with the Ravens? Yeah. I, I also think he's on deck to potentially take over for Ben Bredesen because Skira and Bredesen, they didn't play with the Ravens together, but they both played for Baltimore before. That's a team that has a solid offensive line, historically speaking. So I'd like to see them be the left guard and center combo. I can't stand Billy Price. He's awful. And... <laughs> If Skira has to start at left guard on Sunday, so be it, you know, but I'd like to see him eventually be our center. That's probably our guy right now. Um, About Billy Price, uh, we traded BJ Hill for him. I saw he had two sacks week one for the Bengals. He would be uh, nice right now on that defensive line. He would be, that's for sure. Up I mean, middle. Yeah, it's a shame that we had a cha- that we had to trade a viable piece because what has Raymond Johnson really done? to replicate B.J. Hill and his presence, you know. That's a move I didn't really get. The Giants were really desperate for linemen, and all of a sudden you're giving up defensive assets for linemen. It didn't really make sense to me. And then not to mention Keon Crossett and Nate Ebner, Colin Jalaspia, Kenny Galladay with the hip injury, but he'll play. Casey Kreider's battling with a knee injury, Logan Ryan with a hamstring, Caden Smith with a knee and then Tay Crowder was limited today with the hamstring injury. And then for the Saints, though, their starting left tackle, Teron Armstead, has an elbow injury. He is out indefinitely. He might even be out for the season, which is good news for the Giants if you're Aziz Ojolari or Lorenzo Carter. And then Eric McCoy, one of their starting guards, is dealing with a calf injury. So they're a lot less injury-prone than us at the moment. So – that's something to keep an eye out for on Sunday. But that leads us into our game predictions. And Ben, as the guest, I want to start with you. What are you thinking here? Do you have a final score in mind? Who's winning this football game? I, I'm going to have to go with the Giants. I'm not giving up on them just yet. 
I'm going to go Giants. Let me think. Giants 31-27. I think both teams will score some points. And I just hope the Giants will be more aggressive on the offense this week because, as we saw last week, they were moving the ball and then all the drives just caught, uh, got cut short. So hopefully minimize the field goals. And on the fourth and threes on the opponent 39-yard line, I would like to be going for those now. You know, even if you don't want to kick it, if it's windy, you got to go for it. Because I would always rather, you know, be contr- be in control of the game, you know. If, if that was the, that was the deciding factor, instead of giving the ball to Atlanta, either we win the game or they win. But we would rather be in control if we win the game or not, instead of giving the ball to them. I like that ideology a lot. And I really love your optimism, Ben. It's definitely making me feel a little bit better about this football team. And Noah's comment, bring 39-year-old alligator arm Chris Snee out of retirement, who probably barely weighs 200 pounds anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> he lost a ton of weight. I don't know if he'd he'd be a good fit at this point. But Sam, what's your prediction for this football game? I hate to sound like such a gray cloud after Ben's optimism, but I think that with the amount of injuries that's going on within the Giants and the first week that we are going to have to deal with defensively without Blake Martinez and possibly offensively without two of our starting wide receivers, I do think that the Saints are going to come out on top, but I do think that it's going to be a one-score game. I'm going to go Saints 28, Giants 21, but hopefully um, I am incorrect and Ben is right because that would make my life so much better. I'd rather be wrong and have a Giants win. (laughs) <laughs> I'll be partying on Bourbon Street after they win. <laughs> hey. That sounds like a blast. Hank? Yeah, that's not, that does sound like fun. I would love to check out a game in New Orleans one of these days. But even my prediction, yeah, I'd like to say that I'm confident in the Giants, but there is just too many issues going on. And to really one-up what Sam said, but I'm going to use my favorite mantra. I would rather be wrong and happy than right and just further disappointed so i'm gonna say unfortunately i'm gonna say 34 27 new orleans and you're not gonna like this but i'm with sam and hank here uh 28 17 saints i predicted it before uh, look, if Shepard and Slayton don't play, which is looking more likely at this point, and with the O-line and shambles, I don't see the Giants pulling this out in the Superdome, considering we haven't won in that stadium in over 28 years. But for your sake, Ben, I hope I really, and for our sake, of course, Giants fans, I really hope they pull this one out. I think if they do win, you're looking at a similar score to what you just predicted. The Giants must score a ton of points I think a field goal three, four point win is the only way the Giants come out of this. I could definitely see it being a Saints blowout, double possession win, or a Giants close victory. So, that's you know, just, just like you guys are just like all the NFL analysts, every single one of them is on the Saints. So, when the Giants win this game, it's going to make it 10 times better. Exactly. And the thing is, too, I'll usually pick the Giants, but. They haven't won lately when I picked them, so I'm hoping for a little bit reverse psychology there. I pick against the Giants and they win. Hey, I'd rather that happen than the other way around. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, <laughs> but Ben, we wanted to thank you so much for joining us tonight. And before we let you go here, um, where can people find you on social media and your work? Um, you can look me up on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube if you talk NY Giants guys. So 
it's like the New York Giants official Instagram page with a guy after it. <laughs> and yeah, I post um, on YouTube. I post vlogs, TikTok. I post some short clips. So like on YouTube, probably about Tuesday, I'll post like, you know, the whole New Orleans experience. Then same thing with Dallas. You know, you get to see a little bit of behind the scenes going on these road trips. That's awesome. That, that really is awesome. And uh, make sure to subscribe to Ben on YouTube to check out all his stuff, TikTok and Instagram, as you just mentioned. He has a great account over there. Ben, uh, any final thoughts here? Anything you'd like to add before we let you go? Yeah, uh, I just want to thank you guys for having me on here. And Giants are winning the division. I'm telling you guys right now, don't <laughs> hop on the bandwagon. I'm telling you guys, Giants are beating the Saints. We're beating the Cowboys. We're going to beat the Rams. Now we're going to beat the Panthers. We're going to be four and three right back in it. I love it. I love it. Before the season, I did predict 10 and seven, but three weeks in, who knows? We will and don't, don't, don't forget uh, the upset in Kansas City. So make that five and oh, three. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I could see the Giants beating the Bucks or the Chiefs. I mean, both of those teams, I mean, we played the Bucks close last year, and the Chiefs have looked very pedestrian right now. I mean, they're you know, still the Chiefs. The uh, Giants seem to play more competitive and look much better against more competitive teams. Like, I yeah. feel like we're playing Washington or, or – the Falcons, I don't know. But then, like, when we play the Cowboys in Dallas or we're in Philly in these bigger games, I feel like we're always in control and then we just mess up. Which, yeah. whether you want to blame the coaching or the the conservative play calling, I just, you know, every single time, like, last year in Dallas, we looked great. Then the second half, everything just fell apart. Absolutely, yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. You bring up a lot of good points and really appreciate you again coming on. And, Ben, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We'll have to have you back on again in the future. And let's go Anytime. Big Blue. Let's go. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. That was Ben Flynn. Really appreciate him coming on. New York Giants guy. You know, he was a Hail Mary last second guest that we just got. And he was something. I, it was our first Giants guest that we've gotten. The first three weeks we've gone with the opposing team. We mixed things up a little bit this week, and I thought it was an awesome way to change things up. Maybe that will change our fortune and get us a win. Hopefully. That would be great. His optimism really, like, lifted my spirits a little bit. It made me think, like, you know, maybe maybe we are a good team. Maybe we will win some games. We have hey, the talent. I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah. I'm pumped. Uh, it, ben was a breath of fresh air. He really was. I love it. And I hope he's right. I do hope he's right. And Noah, thank you so much for commenting tonight. You dominated the comments section. Really do appreciate it. Our guest from last week. And probably the take of the night was this one. Brian's take about the LASIK eye surgery. Enjoy the win. (laughs) Like, at least there's another guy confident besides Ben. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, to be fair, I think we, I think he's rooting for us too for a different reason. But oh yeah, well he's a he's 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 a Bucks fan. Noah's a Falcons fan, so of course they're both rooting for us. That definitely makes a lot of sense. But um, all right, Sam, Hank, any final thoughts? It's it's been a pleasure. And next week we're going to have another good show on tap as well, and hopefully we'll be recapping a Giants win by that point. (laughs) I'd really love that as as a as a new addition to this uh, 
to this show. I'm ready to recap a win. I'm ready to have a celebratory episode. So hopefully by <laughs> next week, all three of us are wrong and Ben is correct. And we can we can talk about a Giants win. And if not, we will find the light and everything that we can. Hopefully it'll I'm, I'm hoping that we have a great a great game next week. I also want to thank Noah for hopping on my show, hitting for the cycle last night. He's got some he's got some pretty good knowledge about his Atlanta Braves as well as his Atlanta Falcons. And yeah, seems like we've been we've been getting good about a Noah lately, and that's a great thing. He's real he's really smart, really knowledgeable. Thanks again, Noah, and great to be seeing you in the comments as well. Absolutely, really do appreciate it. Um, on behalf of Sam Cardona, Hank and Dichter, I'm Tom Scavetta wishing you all a good evening. And let's go Big Blue. <laughs>